0: Hello, everybody. I'm Dwayne Mancini and welcome to another episode of MedTech Money brought to you by Project MedTech. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. For more information on Project MedTech and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. If you're enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcast by searching Project MedTech on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. Project MedTech is an interview-style podcast on the medtech industry where guests share stories, advice, pitfalls, trends, and innovations. In this episode, our host, Giovanni Loricella, and our guest, Ramin Mosavi at CathWorks discuss what investors are truly investing in, the agreement and partnership with Medtronic, the importance of storytelling, and so much more. So without further ado, Giovanni's discussion with Ramin Mosavi.
1: Ramin, thank you so much for being here with us today. This is the MedTech Money podcast series powered by Project MedTech and sponsored by Lifeblood Capital. Very excited about this one. We took this one from the rooftop at TCT in San Francisco, I want to say in 2019 when we met in person. So then all of a sudden I saw this massive press release being released in the summer of 2022 about how CathWorks and Medtronic ended up putting a deal together, which is really gonna be the focus of this particular podcast. And there's a really fun, cool story that took place in between meaning your career and how you brought CathWorks to where it is today. And by the way, that booth at TCT 2022 was uh, quite spectacular, so kudos to that. I want to jump into this I've talked to medtech entrepreneurs like yourself as well as investors from around the world and at this point we've discovered that there's no magic formula or even a silver bullet on how to raise or invest capital in Medtech so my goal here is to extract insights so that we can demystify this process and help medtech innovators benefit from this information and certainly learn from professionals like yourself that are going to be aspiring to building their companies to hopefully, to the position that you got yours. And we have an audience of medtech entrepreneurs and investors listening in. And what I want to do is share your advice and stories with what I imagine is that first time founder or CEO who has literally no clue of what lies ahead of them on this journey of raising capital. So I thought the best place to start is from learning from now very experienced professionals like yourself. Before we get into your background, what you're doing with CathWorks, and certainly the big media pop of the summer of 2022 of how you put together a deal with CathWorks and Medtronic, I'm gonna warm up the conversation with several open-ended questions that I would love to get your thoughts and philosophies on. We've established that people and money are the lifeblood of medtech startups, but having grown a medical device company at this point and understanding how what it means to scale an organization What do you consider the lifeblood of a medtech company at this point?
2: Uh, Well, Giovanni, thank you for having me on this uh, podcast. Uh, I've been following your podcast, and I think it's really cool what you're doing, because uh, demystifying this uh, journey that we all get on it, and I think – uh, we all share probably eighty nine percent of our, our our miseries are uh, you know common. It's good to share that uh, most important. So we learn from each other's experience. Um, and you just touched on I think the key part, the people, and just so I put the right disclaimer out there. At the booth at TCT. The credit goes to. The people on our team you know uh, sarita monaco and natalie sickler on our team uh, and the deal is a, a, is a result of everybody that we have i think you need to have three things that have to come together you need to have an idea that needs to be real you know and and, and it could be really you know out there and when we were at that rooftop in san francisco i think i shared with you this bold vision that we had, which probably sounded crazy at the time. Uh, So you need to have an idea that actually addresses a need. And then you need to have a group of people who are uh, crazy enough to buy into that idea. And at the end of the day, they are the one who make it happen. So for me, uh, the, the experience only comes alive when you have the people around that idea. The idea is absolutely necessary. You cannot have something without that core of innovation but it's the people who bring it to life. And uh, if, if there's one thing that we experience here is we had this dream. I think you and I talked about this back in 2019 about that. This, this, this dream of bringing a dream team together to take this from where it was to where it is today. People uh, is the difference between having something successful that people want to be part of versus just an idea that never takes off and never sees the light of the day. So for me, it comes down to the people.
1: And I'm gonna give a, a little extra lead on this next question. So you've been a part of an amazing journey and it certainly helps when it has a successful press release and the world knows what you're doing now, which was a successful outcome and still more the journey to come. But from what you've experienced at, at building a medical device company, building teams, raising capital, all the nuances that are external outside of your power um, in terms of guiding it with your leadership, Do you believe in luck, and how much does luck play into the success of med tech? And I want you to tell it from a perspective of all those struggling med tech entrepreneurs right now who just need a little bit of pick me up, if you will. Maybe they're hitting a a rut where they are in their development.
2: So it's a really good question, and I I think like everything else in life, timing matters, and you can interpret timing as luck, but it's really not luck. It's just you were at the right place at the right time and it's about the timing more than you know the fortune that comes with it so i do believe timing does matter because in this world that we are uh, for medical devices startups you do need to have a you know an innovation idea that addresses a need but then it does matter when you bring that to life meaning that are you the first one or are you following do you come to life at the point where the market is receptive of the investments and the risk-taking that is required to make this come to life. And then last but not least, how high is that on everyone's list when you're trying to solve that problem? So I do believe timing is important. And then I do think that because you know, if you take our story and we certainly believe that you know we're very fortunate to be in this situation that we are in partnership with Metronic, but it's easier to sit on the other side and think about all the upsides and all the great things that happens, But there's always struggle on, you know, on the other side before you got to that point. So my uh, experience is that you can always control the timing part. Perseverance is the only way to manage your rate till you get to the right timing. So I don't think anybody should be discouraged if they feel like they haven't got the lock. I think if you can show that perseverance, uh, perseverance, and stick with the idea that you have, if you really believe in it, then the timing could work out. Sometimes not the first time, and I will be the first one telling you that that was certainly not the case for us at Capers, you know, <laughs> you know. But eventually, if you do have something that's true, the timing will find itself, and 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 you can bring it
1: to life. Having raised capital at this point, having put together big deals. And having to look across the table at those who are investing in you and your vision and your story, and ultimately the company, especially putting together the deal that you did with Medtronic, what do you believe is the most investable skill set or characteristic of a medtech entrepreneur? Another way to think about it is, why do you think the investors that ultimately invested in you and the company that you were leading? What were some of those characteristics that made them follow through?
2: It's a, you know, and and, and this is always something that I've had the luxury of sitting on both sides of this equation, you know, looking at it, if you're strategic and you're making investments, it gives you some good insight. So when you're on the other side, you can get some sense of what people are looking for. At the core of it, obviously, you need to have an innovation that creates value, you know. For those who are trying to invest in it, you know, it doesn't matter whether they're a VC or a PE investor or they're strategic investors, they are investing in an innovation that could create value. But on the people side, what you're investing is, of course, the competency and the skill set, but also that drive and desire for people to solve the problem and be part of something complex. From the beginning all the way to the end when you bring it to life. And what I mean by that is in a soda sort of world, you sometimes are creative, not by choice, but because you don't have a choice. Survival is what pushes people to actually get out and think outside of the box. You know, you don't have a minute to waste. You don't have a dollar to waste. And that actually forces you to think really, really hard. And in a very ironic way, you're forced to make decisions versus sitting and not making decisions. So I think what people are investing in is a track record of individuals, leaders who are willing to make decisions and bring those decisions to life. And that means sometimes you make good decisions and sometimes make bad decisions. I am one of those people who I believe making a decision that wasn't good is better than sitting and not making a decision. So I think that's the view. And and by the way, that's not only applicable at the highest level of organization, it's all the way true because I believe every single person that we have at Capworks has contributed, by the way, present and past to where we are today in one way, uh, shape or fashion, we are the accumulation of everything that is Capworks and this team. I think the investment is also made that way. You do need to be at the right timing. And for us, certainly was the case that you, on the other side of this, has had an organization, Medtronic, that has that foresight and has that vision to look at the long-term value these people can create. In the world that we are in, we are trying to push the boundaries of bringing digital platforms into cardiovascular uh, 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 devices. And that requires a little bit of a vision to look beyond what it is today because there's some things we're envisioning that are not there today. So having people on your team who can see that and can articulate that can be a, a, a great set of you know investment, I guess, uh, drivers for whoever wants to invest in it.
1: And I'm gonna combine two questions that I usually ask independently, but I, I'd love to hear your high level thoughts on this. So You are now a MedTech entrepreneur. You're leading a company that has gone from privately held to now having a deal at slash partnership with a major strategic, Medtronic. Once again, we will get to the story soon enough. But leading that company and being this MedTech entrepreneur, coming from even a corporate background, would you be a MedTech entrepreneur all over again? Would you do it all over again or would you do something differently? And I want to couple that with, is it even glamorous or is it glamorous being a medtech CEO the way people think that it is? Well, Luke, you asked a tough question. I'm trying to balance
2: how I want to answer so I don't hurt anyone's feelings as, as I answer the questions. You know, at First, let me tell you, I've been super blessed in my career at uh, being at great places, having uh, leaders take chance on me uh, where I probably didn't deserve it. Okay. So, you know, I am where I am as a result of everywhere I have been in my journey. So I will not take a a moment of what I've done for granted or, in a sense, want to do anything different uh, because I think everything I've done is what got me here. Now, I do think back, you know, and say, did I make that move too soon or too late? Uh, You know, would I get here faster or later or better if I had done things differently. And my view of it is, um, it's a cliche, right? You say you got to love what you do, you know, but also you have to be in, in a place where when you wake up every day, you are driven automatically. And and I've been so blessed uh, to do that at most of my careers, you know. I think with the exception of one point in my career, I have worked for people that I've admired, you know, and I have had, a, a, a lot to learn from and the one time where I felt like hey you know I am not really learning anything is what triggered for me to make a significant move and I'm proud of that move because it led to all the other things that came after that it is a lot more complex to become and I actually appreciate this now more when I were, when I was in, in, in a you know, large corporate setting at times I questioned why you know, some decisions are not made, you know, by, by uh, uh, the executives that I work for. And now I appreciate that, you know, it's more complex to make a decision. It's not as easy. You have to balance a lot of things. To become a CEO of a medical device company, you basically become the person without much of a net. You have to make decisions that nobody else wants to make, you know. And by the way, the larger the company, I'm sure the more complex that gets. But I can tell you that from my perspective, and I'm sure my peer group all can relate to that, is no easy decisions ever gets to me. Somebody else makes it before you know gets to me. I always stuck between you know bad and worse, or decisions that it is not as clear to make. So yeah, it is not as glamorous of, you know, you just you know, waking up every day and say, "Well, you know, that's what I've called." It, you know, my my that's my job title, but it is glamorous in the fact that if you are driven by making decisions, if you're driven by putting teams together, this is the job. I had the dream that you know I could put a dream team together, and these were people that I've had the luxury of working with them for a long time, and I could see what the potential that they have and this was a place to kind of get and blossom that with our existing team we've had a chance to elevate you know people to a whole new level so the glamour is in your ability to have an impact is not in what comes with the title or any glory that goes with that. I can't really, you know, tell people, you know, you should do a startup or you shouldn't do startup. What I always tell people is like, are you happy and truly enjoy what you're doing? If you're not, then you owe it to yourself, not anybody else to do something about that. And and every day that goes by, if you're not truly enjoying it, if every day that goes by, you feel like you're not learning something new, then that is probably a day uh, not best spent and you can do more with that.
1: If you had a magic stick and now having raised capital from venture capitalists, corporate venture capitalists, raising money in general, if you had a magic stick and could fix anything about how venture capital works, what would you fix?
2: Mm, Complex question. Uh, I think um, it is challenging to be able to tell compelling story and be able to build all the real unknowns and risks while still creating the excitement and the momentum that you need to get the investment coming in. I come to you and I want you to invest in my idea. In a perfect world, I tell you all the great things about it and I will inform you about all the unknowns and the risks we are taking together. The more time I spend telling you about the latter part the less likely you want to invest in it because, you know, you don't want to take that risk. So I think in a perfect world, I would be able to create an equation that says the upside is still far better than all the risks, but we lay all of those on the table. So then the day after we got the money and the investment, we don't start telling you all the things that we maybe didn't do a good job of going deep into it. Uh, there is a desire to make every story rosier that it is to create that excitement. I don't know if that pays off dividend in long term. I think the most, and it's very interesting because if you ask me what kind of leader I think I am, I think I'm a disruptive leader. But then when it comes to raising money, I'm the most pragmatic person. Because I think it catches up with you eventually, so it's better to I try to usually contain my excitement when it comes to dad and then have the upside rather than raising the you know expectation and then uh, underperforming.
1: From an entrepreneur's perspective, and also whether it's just in general on how to build and, and develop a company throughout its life cycle, or even more specifically for raising capital. The skill set of an entrepreneur, how important is the ability to storytell or the ability to have the skill set of storytelling? And then also on top of that, there are a lot of founders who struggle with being able to tell a story. Maybe they're technical in nature. Maybe they're clinical and they're a physician starting something up. Or maybe they're just in general not comfortable or confident in their ability to storytell. Two-part question. How important is storytelling for entrepreneurs and for those who struggle with it do you have any advice for them
2: Yeah you know so you know we all always get this question I think throughout our careers and we've asked from other people what's the one skill set what's the one skill set I think the communication piece you know it is underemphasized even though everybody talks about communication and you know sometimes say communication and people think oh you know is it my ability to present is that no? It's your ability to communicate. I think ability to communicate is the most important skill set you can have as a leader, both inward and outward. Meaning that you need to communicate internally what you're trying to do, and communicate externally to investors uh, why they should invest in you. And then once they've invested in you, communicating to them what you're doing and the progress and the challenges and the success and how you carry the you know, uh, all the way to the destination. I think it is very crucial. And I don't think communication is a switch. You know, It's not one that you turn on and off. Uh, we all have a style. I think you wanna master communication within the style of who you are. You're extrovert, you do it differently. If you're introvert, you do it differently, but it's important to master that communication. And it becomes really, really important to understand who you're communicating to, and what is the information they are looking for? Because otherwise you end up the person who is saying something that is not answering the question they're asking. And it's, it's, a, it's an important challenge to be able to read your audience and convey to them what they want to know. Otherwise you feel like you're a, a, a pre-recorded message. Sometimes it comes across arrogant, uh, sometimes comes across as not being fully connected, I think the best way to build it and I have I have been so lucky you know uh, um, I in in my uh, uh, um, earlier days in in medical device I uh, uh, had a chance to work for this amazing executive who was the general manager of the division I worked his name is David Aylman. and he spent so much time with me on talking about communication and as you look back, it's something that you continue to build on and, and you're mastering your own way. It's not like I can send somebody somewhere and say, teach him how to become a good communicator. You have to take the time to realize what are the small things you can improve. And my suggestion to you know anybody who I interact with and they, they ask about the communication pieces, you got to have some people around you that you really trust who you are okay with giving you very honest, constructive feedback. When you go to communicate important things, so whenever we want to raise money or go to a process, I have people that I trust a lot. These are people who have a lot of operational, uh, you know, uh, 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 experience. You know, we're lucky to have, a, a, you know, some amazing people on Capros board, for example, who have a lot of experience in kind of going through what we are trying to communicate and ask for that honest feedback. You know, you have to be comfortable and not get defensive, allow them to tell you what is resonating and what's not. And then you get to fine tuning it. Uh, You have to be vulnerable rather than defensive, that you're doing a good job and then take that feedback and choose how you want to react to it and and then continue to build it. So I consider myself a continuous work in progress when it comes to this. You know, I think I'm better today than I was, you know, uh, three years ago and hopefully better three years from now than I am today.
1: I love this question because I have fun with it. Um your your company is called Cathworks. What does the name of your company mean?
2: It's a good question. You know, and and and, and you know what we try to basically demonstrate that uh, the thing that we have this non-invasive physiology platform works just the same way that catheter works. You know, now at the background of it in the core of what we use uh, is uses an application MathWorks you know, a, a, which is a very well-known, you know, application. Ours is cathworks because it is trying to emulate, you know, what the, what a catheter does, uh, you know, a, a, in a non-invasive fashion, but that's kind of where it comes, you know, and basically we joke about it, you know, we, we basically say it works like a catheter, but way catheter doesn't work as good as this does, but that's what's in the name. But you're asking you a good question that the name thing does matter a lot, you know? And we, we have some very creative people here that we always debate, is that the right name? Do You need to change something uh, because it should tell a story on its own uh, and when it's uh, a standalone. And what we are now experiencing is that as you globalize these technologies and you try to commercialize it globally, does it resonate in every geography the same way that it did
1: in its original format. So we've had a fun, open, warmed up conversation thus far. The people who are listening to this, driving in their cars, out for a run, whatever it may be, they don't know who you are. They still don't know about CathWorks and they don't know about the major topic of you raising capital and then ultimately putting this deal together with Medtronic. So that's what we're gonna go into next. Lo behold, the man behind the voice, Ramin Musavi, Tell us about the human being the student the professional where you came from all this stuff leading up to you right here in front of me right now as the president and ceo of cathworks who are you so that we can now know who we're listening to for the rest of this podcast
2: all right so let me uh, start uh, by i was born in iran tehran and let me maybe take a 20 seconds pause, I know that's not the topic of this conversation, but as you know, there's a lot going on in my country of birth, you know, around freedom and people trying to push to make sure they have freedom. I have never been more proud of where I was born and, you know, what the uh, you know women of Iran are doing. And, you know, it, while I stay away from ever trying to being strongly taking a political position, I couldn't be more, you know, proud of what they have done. That's where I was born, I grew up in Iran, uh, to, a, a you know, a, a parents who have a, a, a huge emphasis on education, uh, you know, I have a sister who's three years older than me, so I came to the United States when I was 16, uh, and I am a triple alumni of University of California, Irvine, uh, so, you know, the all-in UCI, uh, where at some point in life, I was an engineer, though I don't really uh, claim that, uh, and, I went back to school, uh, you know, I went to uh, get my MBA at UCI. And I started as a, a, a person who was very driven by what computer can do, you know, uh, computer engineering was my first major. And then as I, and I spent actually the first, uh, I'll say six, seven years of my career in uh, high tech and aerospace on that. And at some point uh, I uh, came to the conclusion that I want to do more with my career. And as I looked at, you know, where I could have an impact, uh, a medical device became one of the areas that I Uh, And got very much attracted. Uh, Living in Southern California, I am blessed to be in the proximity of some of the best uh, medical device companies uh, in the world. Uh, One was very close by, and the leader of that company was actually the person who inspired me to want to be in this space. Uh, So that is why I went to medical device. I spent uh, uh, my college showed up two decades following that of being at large companies and then small companies and then going back to a large company and coming back to small companies uh, and and I, if I had to highlight what uh, kind of made my story uh, uh, unique to me not unique but unique to me is that at some point I made a decision of rather than, rather than being a deep expert of one thing, I want it to be a mile wide and you know an inch deep. So I've done a whole lot of different things when it comes to engineering, uh, 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 commercialization, of strategy, marketing, uh, even being on you know on, on the commercial operation sides. And a, the totality of that has been summed by being lucky in launching transformative innovation. You know, in the past, uh, call it uh, uh, 12 years. In different settings, so that's kind of my story, and I, I uh, ended up in in CathWorks uh, as a result of that, you know, uh, because uh, in search of a disruptive technology that could change the standard of care, uh, uh, I, I felt that I found uh, that promise in in Catworks and and our platform, and that's why I ended up where I am. Uh, I am married and have uh, two boys, you know, there are. 10 and 14 and they're, you know, boys, boys. So they keep us super busy. So if I'm not work, you know, usually sitting somewhere on the side watching them play basketball or swim or whatever it is that they do. And uh, I've been in Southern California uh, for the past almost 20 years. <clears throat> this is where we come home. I'm talking to from beautiful Irvine in Orange
1: County. You mentioned a couple things. Hopefully we can dig into them, but the one thing is more career advice. You said you'd rather be an inch, deep and a mile wide and you've had an engineering degree you have an mba you've had all these various components of your career come together for all those listening in right now do you think having that mosaic of experiences enables you to be a better ceo
2: yeah i definitely think so because one i think there's a lot of disconnect when technical people and non-technical people try to come together and solve a problem because you know you want to identify a need with your customers and then you have to work all the way to the other side to bring it back to the customer i think my technical background helped me uh, especially in those early uh, 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 stages be a liaison between the two sides that you know they are supposed to have a healthy tension but they do need a bridge maker between the two and i think it helped me i think it gives me uh, two very distinct things number one it's a humbling fact for me all the time to know there are people who are better than me in every one of these functions, and that's really important to know as a leader. You know, I feel I'm surrounded by a group of people who are absolutely better than me in what they do. You know, and that's great because when you know, you know how deep you've gone in each topic, you have enough knowledge to be able to provide a proper insight and actually be effective. But only if you accept that you are not the expert on that and you surround yourself by people who are better than you and dad, you can actually achieve what you want to do. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I think I can enter any uh, general discussion of any topic of what we do and I still can add value and help us get to a place that we can make a decision. Uh, I don't need to be the expert, but knowing well enough of the inter-delicacy and interconnection of these functions become super helpful. You know, we constantly hear the world cross-functional, cross-functional leadership. Really, cross-functional leadership is all about having an ability to influence people from different functions. If you don't live it from each of these functions, you probably have a higher ability to be able to influence it because you can speak to the language and understand what are the things that they have to do what are the things they care about what are the challenges they face uh, what are the risks that you have to mitigate so yeah i do think that it has helped me a lot and uh you know sometimes i am a man uh, in 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 no man's uh, land zone because I am neither one of those things so I kind of mixed up everything that you've done but I'm comfortable with that because again I go back to I have a team that is better than me in everything that they do so I just become the beneficiary of the sum of everybody that we have.
1: And in case you can share because I thought it was a brilliant story and I'd like to get into it, you entered and correct me if I'm wrong on this. So you entered into the medical device world through edwards right
2: right that's uh, where uh that was my first medical rush. yeah
1: so from edwards you went over to cathworks and then from cathworks you went to baxter and then when i saw you go back to cathworks and keep in mind when we had first met you were at cathworks the first time around there was a story there and obviously you came back as now the leader of the organization which i think is a probably a badass story underneath what no one can understand from a LinkedIn profile. So what is that story, if you can share that? Of course. So yes,
2: I started at at Edwards. Uh, As I mentioned, you know, uh, Edwards uh, uh, CEO, Mike Masson, is the inspirational leader who inspired me, you know, to a, 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 a talk he was giving at UCI to go into medical device. So I will forever Take that as the person who inspired me to be in this space, and you know, uh, having a decade of working there uh, proved to be so uh, fruitful. And you know, uh, his leadership was just as inspirational as the talk was for the decade I worked there. I came to CapWorks not as a CEO, you know, as as uh, chief marketing officer and head of strategy, when we were getting ready to launch. Capworks, you know, uh, and so this is where we did our series C, you know, to, you know, to bring the technology to life. And uh, going back to talk about the timing, you know, what we learned is the, the platform wasn't ready, you know, it's just really, really hard to, uh, 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 to acknowledge when you've done so much work and, you know, and Capworks co-founders and the original team had done an amazing work bringing this technology to life, do an amazing pivotal trial that, you know, showed this exceptional 93% diagnostic accuracy for your you know uh, listeners. What this platform is, is it's a non-invasive platform that allows physicians to get a comprehensive view of physiology diagnosing coronary artery disease which is the number one cause of death globally. Uh, alternative for invasive you know, technologies that do the same thing, but it wasn't ready. And then you combine the fact that you we were gaining that learning through our limited launch and COVID hitting, it was very clear that we have to go back to the drawing board. And um, I made a very difficult decision that the biggest impact I can have was actually stepping away because uh, I think that was the strongest way of communicating to everybody that I felt needed to know is that we are not ready. And it was a very difficult decision because, you know, I think, you know, I was blessed to be part of the launch of one of the most, uh, you know, transformational uh, technologies of the last, uh, you know, I'll say last three decades of cardiovascular uh, 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 space, the transcatheter heart valve, And I left that... You know, I had the dream marketing job, you know, at Edwards. I left that to come bring this thing to life and realize we can't do it because the platform wasn't ready. So for the first time in my career, I had to accept what was a failure, basically, because we didn't get to do that. And imagine you leave that to come for the promise of this thing and acknowledging it's not ready. So I left to help us get where we want to get to the small contribution I could have. At the time, that was probably the strongest statement I could make uh, that we are not ready. Uh, We have had amazing investors who stayed with the company all throughout all these ups and downs. I had all the uh, confidence in the world that they will do what is needed to get this where it is, needs to go but that involved me making that difficult decision so i you know i i, I left them into baxter uh, there there was this amazing uh, uh you know vision by another extraordinary you know leader at uh, joe almeida of trying to uh, transform that company through the digital transformation you know and making you know uh, significant investments uh, in building uh, uh, um, a monitoring division that Know Baxter didn't have, uh, as you've seen. You know there've been series of acquisitions, Cap- uh, They made a Baxter, uh, including you know this last acquisition of Hillaw, and and so I get to experience that, and I had a lot of insight that I gained being on the other side when you could see all these M and A's happening, and um, when the opportunity presented itself to you know come back to Capworks, uh, For me, it was a very. Uh, uh, Easy, difficult decision, and what I mean by that is I had to, you know, uh, uh, convince my 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 family that you know you're gonna sign up for this basically complex unknown. But from a personal perspective, I had an unfinished business. You know, I couldn't leave that chapter go that way. I had to live with it, and this was my chance to come back and make sure that this thing can still see the 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 true potential that can have. So. I came back to, uh, I, I simply felt like I was picking it up where I left it and, and not let this, the story become one of those of, oh, you know, we were not able to do it. So I came back, uh, you know, I am so blessed to have had a, we as a company, Capros, have been so blessed to have had these amazing co-founders, you know, the uh, three of them who poured everything they had into building this, you know, amazing technology. We've had these investors to the stay with us for a long, long time and stayed and believed in it. We've been the beneficiary of having multiple strategics investing in Caprock that has continued to emphasize the opportunities we owe. And when I came back, I think I got embraced by our investors and our board to you know, make some bold decisions uh, that as a team prepared us to get where we are. So yeah, it's a complex story, but uh, a lot of good learning. And again, I go back to that very first question that you asked, uh, we are all in accumulation of everything we've done in our career, sometimes it's really hard dealing with a difficult setup. At that moment that you're in it, because uh, you may want something and you don't get it, and you feel like the world is being unfair to you, you know. And uh, when time goes by and you have an ability to zoom out, you're like, "That was the best thing that could have happened to me." You become grateful you know, the same people you were mad at, you know, for not getting you an opportunity. Sometimes you make a decision and something doesn't go the way it was supposed to go. As time goes by, you become grateful that you're part of that learning. So then when you get a chance to do it differently, you actually do it differently. So it's it's hard to deal with it in the moment when you're in it. I've been there too. So it's not looking from outside in, uh, but it's important to know that if you really believe in what you do and you stick with it, it comes true.
1: Ramin, I could not agree with you more. Thank you for that. Um, now, you've alluded to the technology. We now know who you are. So I won't have to redouble up on the technology aspect, but Cathworks, before we get into the deal, how old are you guys? How many are you guys? Are you cleared and approved and commercialized around the world? I like just who's the company so that we understand the the, the magnitude of Cathworks at this point. Uh- CapRus was founded back in 2013 in Israel uh, by
2: three co-founders: Professor Rand Kornowski, a well-renowned, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, global KOL in interventional cardiologist, and uh, uh, Guy and Eyal Levy. You know, uh, we are now regulatory approved uh, in uh, um, the US in Europe and in Japan. Uh, in fact, we are the first of its kind to be approved in all three places. Uh, uh, to the deal that we're just gonna talk about, we're now globally commercializing this in uh, all of those three territories. Uh, we're just short of 100 people now, uh, uh, but really, really fast growing, You know, uh, to scale up, to be able to do the co-promotion that we are doing. Uh, technology was originally approved in the US in 2018, at the end of 2018. And we launched our fourth generation, which is what we are going to market with and has got all the excitement and you touched on TCT, which was a huge success for our team uh, last year in the second half of the year. So now we have the fourth generation in all of those uh, 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 territories. And uh, the team that we have, is global, so we have a very very bright team in uh, in Israel. It continues to innovate and you know exceed anyone's expectations. And we have uh, teams that are helping launch this technology in the U.S. and Europe and Japan.
1: Which leads me into this. So lastly, on TCT, I was very fortunate enough and blessed to be at the BioStar Capital dinner in TCT, and Louis Cannon was giving the presentation to his investors for his fund. Louis Cannon, by the way, was also on this podcast series. Phenomenal episode for anyone wanting to check that out. Um, very amazing interventional cardiologist turned founder of a venture capital firm. So anyway, very proud of the CathWorks deal. It was very cool to see the light on a venture capitalist face when there is a exit and a partnership to be proud of. And then leading into that, We've been talking and alluding to this partnership. There's this big press release that came out over the summer of 2022. We're going to reverse engineer this. We're going to start at the end and then just come back this way. For all those listening in, what is this partnership that we've been talking about? What does it really mean? Enough. Let's just start there.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and Lou is a good friend. And you know we are very lucky, by the way, to have uh, some of these very... Uh, forward looking, progressive, you know, uh, uh, positioned by background investors like Louis Cannon, like Peter Fitzgerald, like Frank Litwack, uh, uh, um that, you know, have been part of what we do. And people from larger, you know, investors like Deerfield and Andrew, Aberdecy, who believed in this technology for a long time. So deal is uh, we entered into a uh, a comprehensive and complex uh, you know, uh, strategic agreement with Medtronic uh, uh, as part of this deal. Uh, Medtronic has made a, a significant $75 million investment into Capworks. Uh, we also have entered into a global co-promotion uh, in the US, Japan, and Europe, where we get to partner together together to launch this technology. Uh, which I think that's a key to be able to launch this together. And uh, in addition to those things, there is a very clear path to an acquisition uh, for up to $585 million and undisclosed additional earnout. So. It's a, and you know, there's more to this that we haven't shared just, you know, uh, uh, publicly. And so I'll leave those undisclosed. But if you think about it, it's a very comprehensive way. What is a startup one? If you have a vision for a disruptive technology, you want it to become a standard of care in the area that you are. As a VC backed uh, startup, you always worry about raising money. Where is the next funding coming from? And, you know, I have to tell you the market dynamic. If you look at the one that we have today, you know, uh, today specifically, you know, that's how market is reacting. It's not easy. It's the thing that occupies the, the leaders of the startups and the investors mind all the time. You know, can you raise money? Can you get, get diluted? How do you manage your cap table? And then... What is the exit strategy? Because if you're a VC-backed startup, there needs to be an exit. Whether you go public or you get acquired, you have to go, you know, have an exit so your investor can get, you know, basically the return that they were investing for. This gives us all of those. We get a significant investment from a strategic partner that enables us to do a lot of innovation and and, and clinical evidence generation uh uh, for the next few years because we stay standalone uh we get to partner with them and they have one of the most you know impressive most fun amazing uh uh, cornery commercial teams around the world i've got a chance to get to know not just the leadership but everybody that they have i met most of them at this point and continue to meet them and you know as a startup there's this complex thing, especially in the space that we are, you got gonna have to ask this very difficult question of, does the world need one more cardiovascular self team And I know it's an unpopular thing to say, but you have to ask that, you know, if you've been a cat lab, you know what the answer is. And we get to partner with the group that knows this space better than anybody else, we would go and recruit. A partner together, so we are building capabilities that is, you know, basically uh, uh, complementary to what's already there. And then there is a clear path to basically for Capros to become part of Metronic. And we are very blessed because, um, on the other side of this transaction, we've got a chance to interact with um, leaders who've had similar uh, 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 vision. You know, the leadership of the CRDN business of, 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 of Metronic and the cardiovascular team uh, uh, have an amazing vision for where this space is going to go. And that made it very easy to bring the two things together. So, when you add all of these things together, we have the best of both worlds. Stay uh, standalone and go fast and innovate and create evidence and. On the other side, work with them very closely to bring this to life. And then when everything works great coming together, you know, uh, a, a Capros will become part of Medtronic. So it is. it takes the worst of the startup out of it, give you the best of it, uh, a lot of work to do. It's not going to be easy, but a lot of excitement that comes with that deal.
1: Just to make it in layman's terms, or at least for my simple mind to wrap around, you mentioned the word co-promotion and the world doesn't need another cardiovascular sales team. Agreed, by the way. But- what does that really mean? So are you guys basically just enabling Medtronic to go out and commercialize this device? Or are you saying that there's a CathWork sales rep in Europe and then there's one over in Medtronic and sometimes they swap places and someone goes over to U.S.? What does it really mean, co-promotion? It's a good question. So what is it's not?
2: It's not distribution, which is kind of what you were alluding to, to hand the product to them and they go launch it. We actually work together. There is an established very large, very successful commercial Medtronic team in all of these global geographies. We are ramping up a Capworks commercial team that is not redundant in the set. you know? So we are adding uh, what we think is necessary to be able to launch a digital platform, which is, you know, first of its kind. And, and the two teams work together to bring this to life. So you have these amazing established relationships We have people who are subject matter experts of what we do, and they work together to bring this to life. So this is unique because if you take a step back, this is one of the reasons a lot of startup acquisitions don't see the true uh, uh, value ever come to life. You know, we all have seen, I've been part of them, you know, that the acquisition takes place, but then along the journey of integration, and these are two different worlds, a startup and a large company world are very different in that integration process things fall apart you know people leave remember what we talked about the you know, what what is the uh, uh, the capital blood is people you know that's where you know you lose people then you lose a promise and then on the other side a large company ends up with a technology that it is not quite ready to fit in their portfolio and you don't have the expertise left and the knowledge that you need. This allows us to overcome that in a very organic way. So then at the other side of this, you have a technology that it's well on its way to become a standard of care. And one team, you know, it feels already like one team. You don't have to justify that they can come together. They already have come together.
1: So we've had a very vivid actual story of CathWorks, which is excellent. That's what we definitely wanted to get out and share today. I want to get a little bit more mechanical, subjective to you, and then philosophical as well, if you don't mind. Um, Was CathWorks your first stop off that you had to raise money for? Was that your first time ever raising money? Yeah. Okay. You came in, there was A, B, C, D round, if I'm not mistaken, and then this partnership. Right. Okay. You were part of raising C and D. Right. Were you... Part of it, or were you responsible for raising C and D and this partnership? Well,
2: uh, for sure. I I was responsible for this last transaction, but I was also part of you know leading the efforts you know for for the last two rounds. And and maybe a good way of thinking about this is that well, you know, if you're the CEO of the company, you're ultimately at the end of the day the person whose signature goes on you know on on, on the papers every time you raise money. And anybody who's a startup knows that you know you need to have a a strong financial partner. We are so lucky to have Mike Fair as as, as the CFO of Capworks. who have had a chance to work with him for a long, long time in different places. Uh, so he's been part of everything that we've done. In the past uh, 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 round, when we did see the uh, former CEO of Capworks, Jim Corbett, an amazing job, you know, of, of leading that effort. So I want to be very clear that, you know, I'm, I don't only really want to take credit for everything that's being done, but I played a pretty significant role in building the story, especially, especially as we think about D and what we have done, you know, in this transaction of As you're trying to commercialize the product, what does it take? So, you know, it's a team effort, even this last one, uh, you know, uh, I have been the face of it, but the team has contributed. We are lucky to have a very strong uh, senior leadership team that they played a role. You cannot get to a transaction like this one, you know, to not have a robust diligence you know, to go through, you cannot do a robust diligence if you don't have an entire team around it. So it's been a team effort. But if you think about your question, is that who helped architect this? You know, I, I, I you know, I, I it started with me and everybody else, you know, added more to it.
1: So then philosophically speaking, once again, imagine a, a room full of entrepreneurs just salivating to start their own companies and build their own companies and go through all these wars that they have no idea really what it feels like. Having raised capital for the first time in CathWorks now, what are some of the major learning lessons that you learned? Like, what didn't you realize about raising capital when you were at Edwards, let's just say, and had no idea about it? And then all of a sudden now here you are and you've had these experiences and some of them are like, yeah, I get it. Went through it. Fine. It's hard. Tolerable, but hard. And then there's other ones you're like, I had no idea that was ever going to happen or that's how that worked or something. What can you impart on a room full of entrepreneurs about how dynamic and sometimes shitty raising money is?
2: Wow, well, man, I don't know where to start. You know, you're asking me to tell you <laughs> books that I want to write all in one place, but let's start with what may be obvious, but is not. Raising money around a promise of something is much easier than when something is actually there. And what I mean by that is, it is far easier to raise money in early stages than it is in later stages. Because one, you're gonna need more of it. Two, you no longer can paint a picture down the road. People wanna know now what you do and what have you done most recently, because that is what they will use to build their model. And last, The complexity of adding new money doesn't take into account what you do with the old money. So uh, uh, understanding the complexity of managing a cap table uh, is is something that I don't think you fully appreciate until you have one to manage. And everybody deals with it. So we're not unique to that. Everybody has to deal with that. So you have to find a solution that works for the totality of your cap table, because you have to make sure that the investors that have stayed with you for a long time or beneficiary of that long-term patience while you're raising more money to do what you need to do. So that's the first thing, not as, you know, I I don't think as clear that I I certainly don't think that I fully appreciate it because it's one thing to look at a, a, you know, a cap table in whatever format you do from outside versus actually adding the human element and the story that goes from every one of those funds and what needs to happen. The second thing is I don't think as entrepreneurs, first time entrepreneurs, people fully appreciate this concept of Death Valley. You know, uh, this is basically referring to you raise money and in the beginning is not gonna create a, 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 a profitable business. So you're pouring money in and you're basically going into this Death Valley of just pouring money in and nothing coming out. You have to get out of that. Any investment, any medical device company, to have a successful story has to have a path to profitability. And it can be 20 years out. It cannot be that after I hire 400 people, it will get better. Uh, I don't have to point to it. There are very successful IPO stories that fell apart because they were not meeting, you know, that basic concept. So I think that you wouldn't really appreciate dad unless you get to those later stages and you realize how difficult it is to actually build a tangible, reliable, scalable story of getting out of the Death Valley. And then the last thing is no matter how hard you try, no matter how well you plan, there are things you cannot account for. And when those happens, It becomes very challenging from an investment perspective to think about how do you manage that. I don't think, if you ask anybody in the beginning of 2019, there was a single startup, a single startup that somewhere in their funding plan had planned for a pandemic. You know, I don't think there was a single one. I don't think it was a large company that ever, you know, done that plan. Well, when that happens, what do you do? Because if we said people is the core of what you have, and now at a place where productivity drops, what do you do, how do you manage that? So I think those are the three things. There's so much more when it comes to this, you know, complexity of influencing people to get the right decision. But these are some of the things that it may sound very obvious, it is just not as obvious uh, when it comes to actually triggering it. And, And, you know, I think I have such a better appreciation for the distinction of what you should expect and deliver each round of investment now, after we've gone through these four, four rounds here and where we ended up, then I would have ever had.
1: I want to talk about one topic that you and I quickly touch base on, which is this idea of what you did with Medtronic, putting together a deal, a dream deal for most startup, or I should say Medtech startup companies, at least, where you have basically a locked in acquisition. There's a lot of startups out there who are raising money from venture capitalists, from family offices, from whatever it may be, and not corporate venture capitalists who are locking in something as long as you either partner appropriately or hit certain milestones that trigger this acquisition. And you and I talked about one in particular. Um, You were at Edwards at the time. I helped build the team over at Harpoon Medical, but that was a very clear story of a company who took on corporate venture capital money structured a deal that upon hitting certain milestones would trigger an exit. And that happened with Harpoon Medical, the mitral valve repair system that Edwards ultimately acquired, I want to say in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. So there was this, you heard more and more, and I'm making up the numbers, but it felt like you would hear more of these put together partnerships that were predicated upon certain milestones being hit that would trigger acquisitions, it seemed to be somewhat of like a commonality or at least more prevalent 2014, 15, 16, seven, something like that. And then I feel like for the past few years, it's somewhat dissipated. And then all of a sudden, you have this amazing marquee press release about Cathworks and Medtronic coming together and, and doing this thing. Um, what are What are your thoughts on that? First and foremost, is that perception accurate? Were they prevalent? Did they go away for a while? If so, why do you think? And then all of a sudden you did that when you didn't have to, you had options of exiting possibly or continuously building up this valuation where you didn't know who was going to take you out. Maybe it would have been less than 585 million. Maybe it could have been more, who knows? But why did you do that? Why did you choose that structure? And then from an industry perspective, how do you feel like those fit into the industry that we've had and have now?
2: Yeah, you know, I I know because we researched it that ours is first of its kind. And we went back 25 years and there was only one deal similar-ish, but it wasn't even you know, as complex as the one that we've done. Uh, but and yeah, we you know we could have chosen an easier path, you know, out. I believe this is the, you know, this is the this is the right move. Uh, for this technology you know and, and it has ended up in, in, in the right hand. Uh, but if you look back, a lot of times when when, when larger strategics make an investment in an early stage of startup, they that comes with some sort of a first right of refusal, you know, a, a, an option to you know take the company out at certain milestones, you know, which totally makes sense in those early stages. You know, you're basically investing in a concept and you're saying that if it goes beyond certain stages, then you want to have the right to take them out. The challenge that exists is as you get later on, if you try to apply the same structure. It becomes really one-sided. If you're the startup, you're working towards that very complex, you know, sets of milestones. A lot of times these are commercial milestones. And it's basically all upside, you know, for one party and a lot more downside for the other party. Because if I come and I say, I'm going to give a first rider refusal to a strategic, I'm basically... Closing the door for all the other strategics to want to be part of it. I don't know that many strategics who are willing to make that kind of investment if somebody else has first right of refusal, you know. But then there's no protection for this, and that's why we've done different in this deal, you know. Uh, if you read it, you know, if you read the uh, press release, it clearly lays out that you know, Atronic has an option to acquire CapWorks, and CapWorks has an option to compel Neutronic to acquire CapWorks. That is two-sided value creation. And and uh, it's because I do believe a successful deal is one that both parties walk away feeling that they got really really good deal, and they have joint interest to make this successful. You know, uh, I, 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 we joke about this to say you know at least two people who whose job will be at very much risk. You know. If this thing doesn't go well, you know, I know at least one of them, you know, and, and this creates the right incentive for people to want to make sure that the deals go well. Um, having been part of the strategics, you know, sometimes uh, you do experience that, uh, you know, strategics do have the power, you know, because they do have, obviously, the, the bigger balance sheet and ability to invest. But they want to get a one-sided deal and that happens sometimes if your back is against the wall. But if you create the right market, then that doesn't happen because you have choices and options and where you want to go. But remember the question you asked about luck. And I said it's timing, is to find the right partner at the right time to bring this to life. I do think that the, the medical device specifically, because if you look back, uh, there has been both a slowdown in the rate of IPOs. You know given where the market dynamic is I don't think there is anyone actually right now on medical device side and and exits have become more challenging you know uh, uh, because it's really hard to create an accretive deal if you're on a strategic side I can appreciate that you know I know what you know the, the things that you may look for in a deal model you can get that better in you know in, in deals are structured this way uh, but it requires a high level of trust and transparency because everybody needs to know what risks they are taking on, and where you go, and you do need to have supportive investors, uh, which is you know a blessing we've had, but is not always the case. So you know, asking for a you know a, a, an option early on makes a lot of sense. If you're strategic, you get later on that equation seems to be not as equitable for both sides involved.
1: And then, like you mentioned, you look back 25 years and you are the anomaly, right? So you didn't put together this acquisition deal earlier on. You did it on the other side. But to your point, it's about timing and finding the right partnership to ultimately make it work in the right market.
2: It is. And remember, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but companies are acquired. They're now sold, you know. And I think that's the other thing is that sometimes people just want to push the process, Uh, but you can do that. You know, there has to be a right synergy uh, in place for something like this to come true. And I genuinely do believe that it takes, this is, I normally don't believe it takes two to tango. I say one needs to tango and drag the other one along. In this particular case, you do need two sides to wanna be part of something like this because there are more reasons not to do it than do it. So you gotta have to stick to it and go through that process. Uh, and, and I think that was the case. But if you're a startup, and I go back to the idea that if you're, especially if you're a venture-backed startup, then it's an exit. You also have to be humble and acknowledging that you can't control an exit by a strategic. The only thing you can control is building a company that can be independently successful. You know, otherwise you're waiting and you can't, I mean, you could have the perfect, you know, targets. But there's something else going on there and they're not willing, the timing thing, to do it. So what we did is we said, what does it take to build something successful independently? And that became the right trigger for everything that came out of it. The other thing is that these things take a long time. You know, I can't tell exactly how long it took and, you know, we've chosen to not disclose, but it's not something that you just, you know, make a phone call and then somebody comes and, you know, puts that deal together. There needs to be a lot of, you know, close synergy built and people need to see. And the last thing I would say is, the only thing you know what technology is real is if the actual end users believe in that. I can tell you what everyone says, And if I have a bit of a marketing, you know, skills in me, I can tell a compelling story. But do the actual, you know, physicians who are going to use this believe that? And the best way to demonstrate they do is do they actually adopt it? And is it commercialized? Which, you know, it's very frustrating if you're a startup because you're like, oh, you're asking for seeing that. But, you know. That's the only way to know if it's real or not. The best uh, uh, lagging indicator of adoption
1: is whether people are willing to pay for it. And let's try to be a Mike Musalam how he changed your life real quick with this final sign off here. You mentioned that he was the influencer that ultimately got you into the medical device industry. Um, we can't hit everybody with this final question, but I, I do wanna hit this particular stereotype. You over at Edwards, when you were leading up as an executive in marketing in a corporate setting, and imagine all those people in corporate who aspire to be in this entrepreneurial world and maybe have a fear or maybe family obligations, or maybe they're a fear of family obligation, which is the reason why they don't make the leap, whatever it may be. But all those people who are in these leadership roles at Abbott, Medtronic, Boston Scientific, Edwards Life Science, Johnson & Johnson, whoever they may be. What would you say to yourself back at Edwards about could you have believed that you have put together this anomaly deal and struck a unicorn deal with Medtronic in terms of looking back 25 years and never seeing anything like this happen before and putting together a deal for a startup company with a strategic and making medical device history? Could you have thought that would have happened while you were a director, senior director of marketing over at Edwards Life Science. And I just want you to just go on a little bit of a philosophical rant for all those people who might be bored twiddling their pens in a corporate world right now, wishing they can do something, but being their own worst enemy and stopping themselves from doing something as freaking cool as you did.
2: Okay. Well, first, let's level set. Comparing me and Mike Musalom is comparing the guy who is a starting point guard for his high school and Michael Jordan, so it's just not <laughs> very clear, you know. I I uh, am very very much, uh, you know, uh, uh, happy that I will always look forward, to, uh, you know, to following path of the goat. But you know, I'm also very clear that I'm not the goat. So that let's just put that to bed, you know, in case this ever gets played, and you know, if he hears that. I want to make sure that he knows where I stand and where he's <laughs> uh, 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 putting that aside. Here is what it is, you know, I. You have, to, you have to believe that uh, you can do something. And we all end up in these uh, segments in our careers where complacency and comfort starts overtaking our drive and ability to push the boundaries. And, and there's different structure. Large companies and small companies have their pros and cons, and and they're amazing. You you just named a whole bunch of amazing large companies, you know, that they, they are all fantastic in different ways. I certainly have had an opportunity in the medical device side to be part of two amazing ones. But you know when you're not pushing yourself anymore. I knew when the moment came. I'll argue that you know, I waited. Probably eight months too long, from the moment I knew, you know. Uh, but ultimately, I got to a place where I said, "Nope, you know, I know I can do more than that, you know." And by the way, you're taking a chance and a risk on yourself. I always encourage people to bet on yourself more than anything else. And sometimes, more often than not, you need a trigger, and. The, the, the facilitator usually doesn't present itself in the most uh, loving and caring and positive way. That's just not how it works, you know? But when you're able to take a step back, you look at it and say, I am so grateful that thing happened. So my two cents based on my experience is that if you believe that you can do more Maximize your learning and experience wherever you are. But when the moment presents itself, and it always does, I can tell you from all my experience and I've been surrounded by amazing people and I've seen their journey, that moment will present itself one way, shape or another. Do take the risk. Do take the risk. Because if you have done a good job in, in a large company setting, what's the worst thing that could happen? You fail, and you go back, right? I told you, it's like the, the moment I left was probably not where I was most excited about. But I didn't give up on that, you know? And here we are, and we were able to kind of get it where it needs to go. Uh, uh, do embrace those, you know, there's this thing that say, the worst thing that happens to you uh, uh, usually is what opens up the door to what's the best thing that happens to you. I gotta tell you, you have to believe that you can do that, and then you can go and do it. People have an amazing, amazing capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The best thing, as I look outside of this, you know, a, a, a cool, you know, office that we have here in Irvine, California, and our office in Kapar Sabah in Israel, is that um, there are people here that, at some point in time, somebody. Doubted whether they could do what they are doing today, and let me tell you, there's nothing more satisfying and gratifying than allowing the time to solve that problem. As you mentioned, you know, as I was in TCT, uh, you know, there's not much time to breathe, but every you know a a few hours, there was like four minutes to just take a deep breath back, and you know, I was so proud of what our team had done. I highly, highly, highly encourage everybody to take some bet on yourself and don't wait till it's late in your career because your risk tolerance becomes much more difficult to manage. The longer you're staying somewhere, the harder it gets. You know, the era of staying somewhere 20, 30 years, it's no longer there. It was there, you know, it was, that was a path of growing. It was like staying amazing leaders, you know, stayed somewhere 20, 30 years, worked their way up. That's just how it works. You know, somebody told me the other day that the average time of people staying in a job now is less than two years with a company less than five. So take that risk. What's the worst that can happen? You know, I, I can tell you for all of us here, it works out just fine you know, and, and you end up being grateful that you've made that uh, at risk. I am so grateful. And, and you know, I, and I don't pick myself for not taking it faster because I think I took the time that I took to lead to this decision, actually allowed me to run towards something instead of running away from something. And that's an important element also in all of our careers that you move towards something at every point and just the accumulation of the learning to take the next step. I think that's what makes us all, you know, both human, imperfect, and gives us the ability to enjoy, uh, you know, the journey as, you know, because the destination is great. Don't get me wrong. Looking forward to this destination is amazing for all of us. But, you know, getting to enjoy the journey of a single day is uh, uh, as important, if not even more important.
1: Ramin Musavi, president and CEO of CathWorks. I want to say thank you so much. This has been an amazing, modern, legendary story in MedTech. I'm glad that the press release came out not too long ago. I'm even more glad that we got it covered here verbally in much more detail from the entrepreneur himself. Thank you for sharing all this. This is the MedTech Money podcast series, which I used to say we demystify raising and investing capital, but I think today we also demystified a lot about entrepreneurship. So once again, Ramin, thank you so much for your time. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks, you, Arne.
2: Thank you for having on.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at Thanks for listening and have a great day.